my wife just reminded me that we do have a, a cry room downstairs if you need that later. Uh, if you'll just go out the back door and down the stairs, you'll see it. There's a speaker in there. Uh, you can listen. Uh, and again, babies don't bother us either. So uh, if you're bothered by it, that's fine. If not, it doesn't bother us. We like hearing babies. That's a good sign, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 35 through 58. So Paul says, but, what, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weeds or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star, uh, in, from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a, life being, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you so much for uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, and thank you for chapter 15 in particular as it points us to that great and wonderful day, Father, where you will return, where everything will be made new, Father, where we will be made like you and we will see you at last. And so I pray that that be the hope for us believers today, the encouragement for us today. Uh, I pray that for anyone in here that doesn't know you, that today, Father, they would see the, um, the need for you, that they would see that the time is short, uh, that they would see that, that Father, we, we need to quit delaying and putting off, and that they would trust you today. Uh, not another day, not down the road, but today. And they would heed Paul's warnings today. We love you, Father. Thank you for all you've given us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the, the church in, in Corinth, as you guys well know, 
had a lot of problems. Uh, and the final problem that, that Paul has been addressing is the issue of the resurrection. Uh, and to the church in Corinth, they, they thought that the resurrection of the dead was just one giant April fools to them. Uh, they didn't think that it was going to happen. In verse 12 of chapter 15, Paul says that some of you are saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And so in the Greek thought, the idea that the body might have an eternal future was completely ridiculous. Like, like the Greeks believed that the body was something to get rid of, to put off, to be done with, uh, and that the spirit and the soul is all that, that mattered. And so for them to, to believe that, that there was something beyond this, that there was a tangible future for the body in a world to come, that was completely beyond their ability to believe. So as a result, Paul spent the last part of this letter unpacking the idea of the resurrection, and he explains that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then that means Jesus didn't rise, and that would just make Jesus just another dead guy. And so last week, what, what Paul said is that if Christ wasn't raised, then we are of all men most to be pitied. If Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb on the third day, then Christianity is a sham. Then the things that we gather in here to do on a weekly basis, they're just a complete and total waste of time. So the Lord's Supper, waste of time. Baptism, waste of time. What's the point of doing these things if Jesus is just dead? Paul says then our suffering is just something that's a waste of time. Suffering's just something that a cruel God put us on this earth to endure, and then we die, and that's the end of it, because there's nothing greater, there's nothing better beyond this life to look forward to. There's no hope of anything else coming. And then Paul also says, then why grow in holiness? I mean, why be like Jesus at all if he's just another dead guy? And so what Paul says then is if Jesus is dead, let's just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we're just going to die. That's all there is. Live this life, suffer a little bit, die. But Paul closes by reminding us that Jesus is alive. And he's continuing to point these believers to the fact that since he's alive, everything we do in here on Sunday morning makes sense. That baptism and the Lord's Supper, those things are pregnant with meaning. That when we come to the waters of baptism, it's signifying the death and life of a new Christian. It's signifying the fact that one day we will rise again with a new body. Suffering is something that we can endure because we know that what's on the other side of suffering is an eternity free of pain and hurt and difficulty. And we can grow in holiness because Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, it then informs how we live now. And what we said is what you believe informs how you live. Your doctrine affects your life. And so if Jesus is alive, then our life as believers is not one to say, hey, he died for me, I can do whatever I want. No, it's because he died for me, because he's risen again, I want to live for him. I want to serve him. I want to grow to be more and more like Jesus. And so today, as Paul finishes out chapter 15, um, he's going to begin and end with encouragement for believers. He's going to begin and end by saying, hey, life's difficult, but Jesus won, and you can look towards that. You can look towards that future. And then there in the middle of this, he's going to appeal to non-believers to trust in Christ before time runs out. All right, and so we've got to cover a lot of verses today, so just stick with me. I think it's all going to make sense, all right, if you'll just hang, hang in there. So look with me, if you will, in verse 35. Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. 
For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So, so in verse 35, what Paul's doing is anticipating a snarky question from the Corinthian church, right? So, so oh, really, Paul? All right, there is a resurrection. Oh, okay. Well, what does this uh, supposed body that we're going to get look like one day, Paul? I mean, you're crazy, Paul. There, there's no resurrection coming, right? It's just a snarky response. So Paul's getting ahead of him, and in the, verse 36, he turns the table on him. He says, if that's the question you're going to ask, you're the fool, not me. You're the one that's bought into the values of the world instead of the philosophy uh, in the philosophy of the age, instead of bending to the truth of God's word. I'm not the fool. You're the fools for not believing what God has said. And so Paul answers her question. He uses a, a farming analogy. He says, when a farmer sows a seed, he buries it in the ground. When the seed sprouts, the seed is completely gone. The seed is dead. Something else has arisen from that seed. What Paul wants us to see is that there's this kind of death and resurrection all around us in every field and in every garden. And he says this is the picture of the resurrection of believers at the end of the age. And all Paul's doing is building on the language of Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24, Jesus says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, Jesus is saying that he's the seed that dies and rises to bear much fruit. Paul's just using the same language of Jesus to describe your destiny and my destiny if we're in Christ. That Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the template for you and I. So if we're believers, we like him, we will die. But then when we rise again, we will enter into the glory of the resurrection life. And so here's the good news and here's the encouragement for you and I as believers. Is that sometimes it's very, very easy to be skeptical like the Corinthians. Is it not? I mean, especially when we're sitting here in, almost, in, in November, we're tired, we're worn out, right? Joe made the comment the other day, it's like, uh, you know, my give a pooper's done, right? I'm done, I'm out, I'm finished, right? It's the end of the year, I'm tired, I'm wore out. It's easy for us to be like the Corinthians in those moments when we're lonely and weary and worn and life just kind of begins to drag like it does right now. In those moments, it becomes very hard for us to imagine that there's a better world to come. And so what Paul's doing here is he's reminding us that this isn't all there is. That there is a glorious destiny for Christians. That one day the seed of our lives will be sown and buried, but then we will die and we will rise and bear much fruit because the seed that was Jesus Christ was buried and died and rose again. And so what that means is in those moments of sorrow and unhappiness and loneliness and weariness, there's still hope for the Christian to know that this isn't all there is, that there's so much more coming because Jesus has died and he's risen again. So Paul wants us to be encouraged. And in verse 39, look what he says. Yep, yeah, sorry, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. 
But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So, so he's listing the various order of the created world, and what he's saying is that no flesh is the same. So humans have one kind, animals have another. Birds, fish, they're different. Different. So in answer to their snarky question, what he's saying is that our heavenly bodies will be completely different from our earthly bodies. That the sun, the moon, and the stars, they all differ from one another in glory. So his point is is that each of God's creatures has been perfectly fitted for its environment by its creator. So so remember, the Corinthians are asking, well, how are the dead raised? Well, what kind of body are they going to get? And Paul says, listen, just like the creation all around us right now, God will prepare a body that will perfectly fit our new environment. I I don't know what that's going to look like, Paul says. I just know that God will do it. He'll fix it the way it's supposed to be. And then if you notice, he gives an order of creation, so to speak. He says, first humans, then animals, then birds, then fish, then the sun, then the moon, then the stars. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, That's the reverse order of how God created the world in Genesis chapter 1. In other words, Paul's saying when Jesus comes back, everything will be made new, starting with the prize of his creation, human beings, those who are made in his image. He will transform everything. And it's not going to be just a fresh coat of paint on the broken down house uh, of your life. It will be a complete renovation, not only your life, but of the whole creation. Paul's saying that nothing will be left unchanged on that day when Jesus comes back. All right? Verse 42. He says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is, uh, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So the seed of this life, it's sown, um, it's perishable in dishonor, weakness. That's a natural body. And if you think about it, that is a perfect description of our lives and of the bodies that we have right now, right? Our bodies age, they get sick, they're fragile. Our bodies become the focus of temptation. In some areas, our bodies become an instrument uh, of sin, a natural body. We all have that. That's every one of us in this room. But Paul says when Jesus comes back, bodies won't break down anymore. They won't age. They won't hurt. They won't die. Bodies sown in dishonor will be raised in glory on that day when Jesus returns. If you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid because they were naked. And since that point on, we have all found shame and dishonor in our bodies, right? Go to Facebook. As soon as you get home, somebody's going to gripe about their body at some point. Right? Absolutely. We all do it. What Paul says is that a day is coming when we will no longer regard ourselves with shame and dishonor, but will be made like Jesus in the glory of his resurrection body. So the power of an indestructible life that possessed Jesus on that day will then empower and possess our bodies. And then in verse 45, Paul shows us what the requirement for that is. He says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. 
And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right? So, several years back, me and Mariah had been married a couple of years. I think it was 2007, 2008, I can't remember. But Mariah's pastor, uh, a man named Brother Bill Wright, was being given this Lifetime uh, Achievement Award by the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Uh, and Mariah and I were, were invited to go. He got to take some people with him, and he invited us to go. And so it was this great honor. But, but, but there was a problem in going, is that it was a coat and tie dinner. All right, so I've only been married a couple of years at that point. Uh, I grew up on a feedlot, right? We don't have coat and ties. Uh, my dad didn't even wear a coat to my wedding, all right? We, we tried to get him to, and he's like, I ain't wearing one of them things, right? So we didn't. I mean, we didn't argue with him, so, so he didn't do it. I didn't have a coat and tie. And so the problem was is that if I was going to go to this thing, I had to have a coat. And one day, out of the blue, my mother-in-law, in her goodness and her kindness to me, shows up to our house with a brand new coat that she went and bought for me at Dillard's. It was one of the kindest things she's ever done for me. And the reason that she gave it to me was because she knew that in order for me to gain entry into this thing, I needed to fit the dress code. So what Paul wants you to see here is that when the new creation comes, there's a dress code to enter into it. Without this dress code, you will not be able to gain entry into this new world. So new bodies belong in a new creation. And so Paul shows you how to get this new body. Paul says in verse 22, he draws this parallel, excuse me, he draws a parallel back to something that he brought up in verse 22. And he's drawing this parallel between Adam and Jesus. He says you're either united to Adam who failed and this life right here is all that you have to look forward to. You die, it's over, that's it. Or you can be united to the last Adam, Jesus Christ, and have the hope of eternal life. So the demands of the dress code can only be met through faith in Jesus. That's what he wants you to see. In the scriptures, there's two births and two deaths. I don't know if you know this. In the scriptures, it talks about two births and two deaths. So obviously, there's the, the natural birth, but then there's also the spiritual birth. If you remember Jesus' conversation in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, what did he tell him? Nobody can come into the kingdom unless he's born again. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that only comes through trusting in Jesus and being born again. That's the second birth. But the scripture also talks about two deaths. There's a natural death at the end of our lives, right? Not one of us is going to get out of that one. Death's batting 100 for 100. It's coming for us all. At some point, you will die. But there's another death that the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Listen to what it says. But it says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We call this place hell. It's a place of eternal judgment. So look at it this way. Those who've been born only once are destined to die twice. Those who are born twice will only die once. So if you've been born once, you will die twice. If you've been born twice, you will only die once. See, unless you're born again, 
unless you can say that Jesus is my only hope, that as we sang about earlier, that Jesus' blood and righteousness are all that I have. Unless Jesus has come into your life and saved you, then you will die a natural death only to face a second death, the eternal death, under the eternal wrath of God Almighty. But if you believe Jesus paid your debt and died in your place, then you'll meet the dress code. Then although you'll die a natural death, you'll only die once to rise again and to live with Jesus forever and ever. So here it is. Some of you need to answer this question today. Are you in the first Adam, born once, destined to die twice, or are you in the last Adam, the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, born twice to die once? And before you leave here today, you need to wrestle with that, and you need to ask yourself, do I know Jesus And not the, I tip my hat to him in seventh grade, but my life's never changed, panhandle mentality. Do you know Jesus? Has he changed you? Has he saved you? Are you different? Verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So a better translation of verse 50 would be, what I mean is this, brothers, is what he's saying. There's a patience in Paul's tone. How many of y'all remember reading to your kids in first grade? Thank you, first grade teachers. Right, night after night after night after night, and you're sitting there, and there's just nights. You're like, just say it. It's thee. It's the word thee. Just say thee. Right, you're thinking it, but yet you're patient, right? You you never say it. Some of y'all laughing. Did y'all do that? Shame on y'all. Right? But you never say it. You're you're patient. That's Paul. He's patient with them. He's urging them to comprehend the truth. They're struggling. They don't believe their bodies might have an eternal destiny. And what Paul says is that this is that if you're an heir of Christ, you will get a new body. And and it's not just the flesh and blood heirs. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's not Jesus' immediate family that gets the new body. It's like if somebody dies and he leaves their best friend the estate instead of their flesh and blood. That's Paul's point is that those of us who, by proxy, have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will inherit the kingdom. And then what Paul says next, I love it, he says, there's a mystery to it, though. A mystery in the New Testament means something hidden, but now revealed, but not fully comprehended. Thanks, Paul. Right? It's something that's been revealed, but not fully comprehended. It's a revealed truth that we don't get. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Paul says, there's a mystery to what's coming. We know it's coming. We just don't know what it'll look like yet. It's going to be a surprise when suddenly that day dawns and all the pieces fit together. So this is why I tell you, I think that Jesus himself would say that when he talks about his coming, He doesn't say that we get to look at the newspaper and see all the Apache helicopters descending on Jerusalem from from Russia, okay? He just says, I'm coming back and you're not going to know when it's going to come. It's going to happen at a moment that you would not expect and like that, it's over. 
In verses 51 and 52, Paul says there's going to be a universal change for every Christian. So some of us will, will have long since passed, but whether dead or alive, in a moment, everything will be changed. And that change is immediate. In verse 52, he says in a moment, that's the word atomos, right? It's where we get the word atom, which is the smallest particle uh, of, 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 an, of an element or anything. It means the most smallest conceivable unit of time is all it'll take for us to be transformed. That there's not going to be a process, there's not going to be a gradual morphing, that the time it takes to blink will be how instantaneous this change happens. And he says it'll take place at the last trumpet. That trumpet just signifies the author's period at the end of history. That when it ha sounds, it's over. Put the period in. This world that we know will be finished. And listen to me. He's telling you this because those of you who don't know Jesus, he wants you to know there will be no more opportunities afforded humanity on that day. So that those of us who belong in the new creation will be taken to the new creation. Those who belong to darkness, you will be dispatched to the darkness separated from God in eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. And what Paul wants you to see is that when that trumpet sounds, all the lies that so many of us who don't know Jesus tell ourselves to keep the witnesses of our friends at bay, all those will be exposed, right? You know what those lies are? Oh, there's still plenty of time. I got time. I got time. It's, it's okay, man. I don't know what that guy's talking about, right? I've been hearing pastors talk about Jesus coming back for years and years and years, right? I even had a pastor put a chart up on the stage, and he told me when it was going to happen, and it didn't happen, so he was wrong. But still, I've been hearing about this forever and ever and ever and ever. I can delay. I can wait. I can put it off. There's plenty of time. And so we turn back to our drink or our money or our pleasures, and the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ are raised. And every Christian undergoes this glorious change and we're taken to be with him. We're taken to mirror him and to be in his glorious presence. But those of you who continue to delay and delay and delay, telling yourself there's time when that trumpet sounds, you'll be left to perish. So again, if you haven't trusted in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness today, Paul, I am urging you Trust in Jesus. Verse 54. On that day, Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the trumpet sounds, in the blink of an eye, our perishable, broken-down bodies are transformed. When our mortal bodies put on immortal bodies, then death will be swallowed up in victory. Then we will say, death, where is your sting? Okay. Now, this passage is read at funerals all the time, and it drives me crazy because I'm always sitting there going, it's right there! It's the person sitting in the coffin. It's the widow or the widower. It's, it's the family that's grieving, that's mourning. The sting is right in front of us, right? See, what Paul's getting at right there is that, 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 that death is a terrible opponent, that the sting of death will be with us until Jesus returns, that death has not yet been defeated, and it won't be until Jesus cracks the sky. So although death still stings, Paul wants you to know that death's time is limited. 
that it will be swallowed up one day in victory. One commentator puts it this way. He said that death is like the schoolyard bully before whom other children cowered until a stronger one came along and defeated him, giving all others freedom and hope. So when somebody dies, there's a temporary sting for those who are left here on earth. But for those who die in Adam, there's a much worse sting. It's the sting of unforgiven sin. It's the sting of standing before God at the end with a life that was under, unrepentant, under sanction, under the penalty of the law of God that each and every one of us in this room have broken. We've all worshipped ourselves and not our Creator. We've all filled our lives with idols of success. Listen to what Pastor David Strain says. He says, we use the name of Jesus to curse others while we sought to make a name only for ourselves. We thought Sunday a day for our pleasure. If and when we came to church, it was simply to network and to reinforce our business partnerships. We dishonored our parents. We were hateful and violent and held grudges. We lusted after others. Our phones and our laptops were filled with filth. We wanted to take shortcuts to wealth. We cheated on our taxes. We were involved in shady deals. We took what did not belong to us. We told lies. We were dreadful gossips. We could never stop trying to have what other people have. Always driven to keep up with the neighbors, to show ourselves successful by the accumulation of stuff, as if a man's life really did consist in the abundance of things. Paul says, if that's us, on that day, you will feel the final sting of death as you stand before your maker and he sentences you to the outer darkness of hell. But look at verse 57. I want you to notice something. Look what Paul says. Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's not trembling right here. Paul's rejoicing in this moment. He says, thanks be to God who gave us the victory through Jesus. It's a gift that he has given us. Jesus has triumphed and his victory becomes mine. All I have to do is ask. Just ask and pardon is yours. The one who bore the wrath and curse of God, the one who took the sting of death, he says, just ask and he will give you forgiveness and pardon. It's all free. Folks, you know what that's called? It's called grace. When you call out, you will be able to sing that I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That sin's curse has lost its grip on me because I am his and he is mine and he stands in victory. He will give you forgiveness. He will give you pardon. And so folks, I have to ask you one more time. Do you know that truth? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Do you know on that day when you stand in front of him that you will stand empty? And that the only thing you have to offer is Jesus. Have you trusted in him? Paul's pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Trust in Jesus. We are closer to his return right now than when we walked in this room this morning. Trust in Jesus. And then finally, look at verse 58. He ends with encouragement to believers. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, he's talking to Christians, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So if you've trusted in Jesus, if you're living for Jesus, Paul says there's a great day coming for us and he wants you to be encouraged this morning. So when he says be steadfast and immovable, 
He's not talking about being unyielding. He's not being, uh, or being obstinate or just being a, a stick in the mud. That's not what Paul's getting at. When he says to be steadfast and immovable, he means never straying from one agenda. I like that. Be steadfast and movable. Never stray from that agenda. That if Jesus has saved you, then you should live your life for that one agenda to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And so from this one agenda, you want to please your Savior for all that he's done for you. So here's the encouragement. Paul says, keep your eyes on Jesus and don't give up no matter how hard it gets. No matter how hard it gets, don't give up. When it's tough and you're sore and you're tired, don't give up. You know why? Because the tomb is empty and Jesus is one and there's so much more coming for us. When it seems that your labor is in vain, when you share in the gospel, you're teaching that Sunday school class, or you're working with kids and students, and you're just like, I don't know if they're ever going to get it. They're wearing me out. They're driving me crazy. It seems like all I'm doing is for naught. He says, don't give up because the tomb is empty and there's so much more coming. Maybe somebody sees what you do for the Lord. Maybe nobody appreciates how hard you work. Maybe nobody sees the price you've paid for your, friend, your, your faith, the friendships that you've lost, the opportunities you've had to pass by to put Christ first. I bet that's a lot of us in here. Paul says Jesus knows and he understands. Don't give up. The tomb is empty. There's so much more coming on the other side that your work is not in vain, none of it, that death won't be the final insult in your life. So for the Christian, death will be swallowed up in victory and soon one day, brother, sister, you will stand in front of Christ and you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it teaches us and what it shows us. Father, thank you that death does not get the final word. That, Father, one day we will be with you forever and ever and ever. That you will swallow up death. As my friend Mike has so well written in a song, we will dance on our graves one day, Father. And so I pray that for the brother or sister in here, the believer who, who maybe is just weary and worn down and tired, Maybe they're just tempted to throw the towel in and just give up. I pray that you would remind them today of the hope that we have, that there's a better life coming. That one day when you come back, that, that we see you face to face, that all this struggle, all this hurt, all this difficulty, everything we walk through on this earth will be worth it because of what you've done for us. Father, give us that hope. Help us to be steadfast and immovable. And I pray that we be encouraged with that. And finally, Father, for those in this room, for my friends that do not know you, I pray today would not, uh, that, that today they would not leave here without trusting in you, without grabbing a friend saying, hey, I find myself in the first Adam. Born once to die twice. But today something is stirred in my heart and the Holy Spirit is doing something in me and I feel as if he has saved me, regenerated me and changed me and that now I'm being born again born twice to die once and I pray that they would talk to somebody that they would grab me today that Father they would not delay any longer that they would quit saying I've got all this time in the world and they would realize that time is short and that you're returning soon Father thank you for Jesus thank you for all that he's done for us thank you that because of his life, his death and resurrection that he is not finished with us yet and that he's working on us, and he will until the day he returns. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom me faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down. Church. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. Yeah. Where you at? Do you, you guys know the song? I know you guys know the song. Come on, help me out here. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. It's death was arrested for words. And he canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Just listen to this verse right here. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. In darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost But then Jesus arose with the freedom in hell That's when death was arrested and my life began You know the course Oh, your grace so free washes over Take our offering this morning.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just glorify your name. We just praise your name. We worship you and honor you. and Thank you for all that you are and all that you've done, what you've already done for us. And all we have to do is just come to you and, and freely just take what you've already given us. And we just thank you. Father, I thank you uh, for this uh, body of believers. Uh, I pray that uh, in this time that uh, we uh, give, I pray that uh, what we give would be uh, beneficial and, and would help your cause. Father, we love you and we praise you. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. A couple announcements while these guys pass the plate. Uh, first one is...